Welcome to season two of the Change the World podcast. This season, I'm going to be speaking not only with nonprofit founders, but with other nonprofit leaders, such as fundraising experts, communications executives, and board members. We'll be addressing some of the big issues facing Jewish nonprofits today and brainstorming ways that we can come together to address them. Thanks for joining. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm talking to Alana Silber, who is the CEO of Sharsheret, the National Jewish Breast Cancer and Ovarian Cancer Organization. Alana, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate the opportunity to share Sharsheret with all of your listeners. Thank you. So let's dive right in. Um, Can you give us a little overview of your background, how you got started, how you got into the nonprofit world? So I, first of all, I grew up in a family where both my parents were Jewish communal workers. You know, my father was very active in Yeshiva University and my mother was in the Yeshiva day school system for a while. And then she ran a Jewish community council in Washington Heights in New York. So I grew up in a family where Jewish nonprofit was what we did all the time, every day, all the time, heard all about it. And it was very important to me to feel like I was doing something for the Jewish community. And I went to college and then I went to grad school and I got a degree, an MBA in healthcare. And so I was very interested also in health and in particular women's health. And so that was my interest. And when I was, I was living in Teaneck, New Jersey, and the founder of Sharsheret, the Jewish breast cancer organization at the time, she was speaking in our local synagogue and I went to hear her. And at that time I was looking for something to do professionally. I started as a volunteer and then she was just her at the time. And she said, you know, you have this MBA in healthcare. I had strong connections in the Jewish community from my upbringing, from just being active in the community. And I came on board and that was, I'm going to age myself 20 years ago. And that's when Sharsheret was just the founder of myself. And then fast forward 20 years, we now have 38 or 39 staff members at Sharsheret. We have five offices. We are in physical offices in Chicago, LA, Miami, uh, Miami, Hollywood, South Florida, and New York and New Jersey. And we have a $5.1 million budget. So we've really started out in this specific organization when it was like a startup. And now it's become a national movement. Can you go in a little bit? I'm just curious how you went from volunteer to CEO. Was there like path in between? Was it a straight jump? Definitely not a straight jump. So when I came on, so the founder, her name is Rochelle Shorts. She was brilliant. She was 28 years old. She had clerked for uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She was an otherwise healthy young woman and was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she looked in the cancer community and the Jewish community, and there was no organization, no nonprofit like that was addressing her issues as a young Jewish woman. So given her energy and her brilliance, she started to look for what she could do. And she ended up getting matched or introduced to another young mom. Her name is Lauren Weiser. And Lauren had had breast cancer a few months before Rochelle Shoretz and basically carried her through her diagnosis, her treatment, her surgeries. And then she looked at Lauren and said, we can't be the only two young Jewish women out there. Let's start a nonprofit organization. So that was in 2001. And they were starting slowly and matching women and helping women help each other. And then 
I heard Rochelle speak in the synagogue and I felt like a young Jewish woman. I had to get involved. I had to help. And then when I came on board as a professional, I was really a program coordinator. Rochelle was basically the CEO and I was a very junior position in the office doing some administrative work, program content, fundraising, like a little bit into each piece of a nonprofit because it was just the two of us with uh, hundreds of volunteers. So I would start off that way. And every few years as Sharshara grew, my responsibilities grew as well. And I would groom all the people. It became, two, you know, the first year, a thousand women called. And then the call volume went up and then they said, we want to develop these programs and we want to help. We want to understand genetics and we want to understand all these other pieces. So as Sharshara grew and we brought on more people, I started to learn how to supervise and manage people and develop programs and slowly moved up from program coordinator to program manager to director of operations to basically a COO and then CEO. So I really, it, it took a generation. It took me 20 years I became CEO seven years ago, so it's 2015. So it took me about 12 years to go from a volunteer to the CEO. Wow, that's a great story. So just very briefly for anyone who may not know, what services does Shashara provide? So Shashara basically does, I like to put it into four different boxes. Shashara provides, everything's free, everything is confidential, everything is available to women and men of all ages, of all backgrounds and accessible anywhere in the country. So we were providing all these services remotely before COVID hit. We were always remote. So we were the perfect model for a perfect storm. So the four things that we do, we provide emotional support. So we have a peer support network of over 20,000 women who speak to each other about what they're going through, whether they're at risk for breast cancer, ovarian cancer, or diagnosed or surviving it. So it's emotional support, mental health counseling. We have genetic counselor and we have social workers on the team who are constantly talking to women, navigating the cancer journey and their spouses and their partners and their moms and their sisters and their kids. And we provide financial subsidies. Cancer is expensive. So we are providing funding for those who really need the support for non-medical services. And we do life-saving education. So we are out there running 500 educational events each year, starting on college campuses and all across the country, events from 50 people to 500 people, educating them because the Jewish community is at increased risk for hereditary breast and ovarian cancer. And we need to educate people because we don't have to wait for cancer to hit. There are things we can do today to protect ourselves and to catch cancer in its earliest stages when it can be cured. So we are out there. That's our mission, to provide support and educate. And that's how we're doing it. Wow, that's a lot of services. That's really incredible. So as the CEO, what is your role? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? I'm sure that's a loaded question. I'm sure it changes, but from a high level. Yeah, so what I should be doing is, and I do, is really being the strategist for the organization. Where does Sharshara go from here? What do we get involved with? At the end of the day, because, and I think this is a challenge that a lot of people have that start out in the more junior ranks of an organization and move up, is that I get caught in the weeds. And I think that's probably my biggest challenge. I care so much about everything. So I try to pull myself out of it and see the bigger picture from what we call from the balcony looking down so it can be more objective. And we have amazing people working at Churchyard. They don't need me to be in there. But on a day-to-day basis, most of the time what I am doing is 
networking for the organization, making really good contacts. I mean, sharsheret is the Hebrew word for chain, and we generally use that in reference to women connecting to women and strengthening the chain. It's a beautiful image, but I also see it as sharsheret connecting to the medical community, and we're very much involved with the medical community. I chaired the Federal Advisory Committee on Breast Cancer in Young Women, working with the CDC. I'm bringing Sharsharet's voice to the national platform because it is a crisis in the Jewish community, breast cancer and ovarian cancer, and Sharsharet's the only place that's really addressing it in the way that we are. So as the CEO, I am making sure that we are recognized as such and that we learn from what's out there from the CDC, from the medical community, from other Jewish organizations and bringing back to the work that we do so we can better serve the people who reach out to Sharshara for support. So that's where I am. But on a day-to-day basis, I will get three or four calls a day from women and family members who are going through cancer and saying, Alana, do you know where I can get a wig for chemo? Do you know this woman is having trouble with health insurance? Do you know this woman, the husband is having just a hard time? Can someone talk to her? And I am then bringing them into the Sharsharet family to get the support they need. And everything at Sharsharet is like quick. I think it's partially that I'm always, you know, there's so much to do, but we know what it's like to go through cancer and you're always waiting and you're always filling out forms at Sharsharet. It's all quick. You want it, you have a question, you're going to get an answer today. You're going to the doctor tomorrow. We're going to get you ready. You're having family for Rosh Hashanah and you have to manage that and cancer. We're going to help you do that. So I am basically a networker, a connector, and making sure that Sharsharet can make as much impact as possible. So I really, the the challenge, the day-to-day challenge of getting kind of stuck in the weeds, that's a really relatable challenge. Would you say you have any significant, like if you can pinpoint a big picture challenge that you've encountered, or, you know, I'm sure there's been many, but something that really sticks out in terms of like on your path to helping the organization achieve all these amazing goals that it hopes to achieve, what would you say has been your biggest challenge on that aspect? So the biggest challenge, I think it comes down to marketing. Look, we have a fantastic marketing team. They are, they're top notch. They're terrific. And still there are places that don't know Sharsharet, right? And they still don't recognize how Sharsharet could partner with them. For example, we're partnering with, I think about a hundred social service agencies in every city across the country. Yet there are times that someone will come to them who has breast cancer and ovarian cancer and they don't send them to Sharsharet and they end up trying to help them and we could easily help them. So I think the biggest challenge for me is ensuring not only that everyone knows about Sharsharet, but knows how to use us so that we can complement the work that we're doing. We're doing really well in the medical community, but there are thousands of doctors who don't know about us. So I think that that's been the biggest challenge is getting Sharsharet to be a household name in the medical community and beyond so that they can leverage what we're doing to better support patients. That could be endless, right? There are just thousands and thousands of medical centers and amazing doctors out there and all that. So that's a big challenge. You know, I hear that a lot when speaking to nonprofit leaders. If you had to venture venture an educated guess, what would you say is like the root cause of that being the biggest challenge? Do you think it's, it's a kind of a lack of awareness or are people not open to communicating on the topic? What would you think? So marketing is expensive. If I had all the money in the world, like everyone thinks social media is free. It's so not free. It is so expensive. And 
if you go to someone and you work for an organization like Sharsheret or a board member, and it's amazing work, the donor very often wants to support a program that's going to directly enhance or save a life. Sharsheret improves lives and saves lives. So it's hard to ask a donor or a foundation where we very much want support to fund a very, very expensive marketing campaign. But we know that if you are a big corporation, you can dump a million dollars. Now, campaigns aren't always successful, which is also a risk, but you can get further and deeper. So we do the best we can within the resource we have. But I think one is definitely comes down to funds. You know, we have a very tight budget. It's over $5 million now. But the average gift at Sharshared is under $1,000, and which is great because every donor, even if they're small, potentially will need Sharshared. I mean, that's what we're saying and we're seeing is that every single person I talk to, either they or someone they love will need Sharshared. Whether they reach out to Sharshared or not is another story, but there isn't a family out there that isn't touched by breast cancer or ovarian cancer, either a scare or a diagnosis or carrying a genetic mutation. I mean, one in 40 Jews of Ashkenazi descent carries a BRCA, a BRCA, that's a breast cancer and an ovarian cancer mutation compared to one in 400 in the general population. That means Jewish families are at 10 times greater risk. If we are at that greater risk, we are in a crisis. And Sharsheret will be there for every family. But if they don't know that we are, that's a challenge. And we can't afford to double down, triple down, quadruple down. But if I had, if someone's on this call and wants to give us a million dollars, I can meet you tomorrow because I have a lot of ideas on how to get Sharshard out there more and do more. Because while we have 20,000 women in our database, I guarantee the number is much greater than that in the Jewish community and beyond that is affected that could benefit from what we're doing. If you think about it, logically, it doesn't make any sense, but people want to feel like their investment is going directly to help someone. But communicating to someone that there's an organization that could help them is probably the most powerful thing that you can do because you can have all the services in the world, but if the people who need you don't know to reach out, then it's not serving its full purpose. So it's kind of like this overhead myth that anything spent on marketing or infrastructure is not going to support the cause, but that's not true. And the truth is it's not only the money, it's also the people and the expertise because you could also dump a million dollars into a bad campaign. So you need really good experts in marketing. You need people to facilitate it. Then we have to be able to follow up with everyone who reaches out. So it does add up. We actually right now just received, we're part of a program called Preside that is part of of a national foundation that very much wants Jewish organizations to grow. And we received a capacity building grant, which is very, very generous, which I can't share the exact amount but is allowing Sharsheret to use those dollars for building Sharsheret. So we are putting some of that into marketing because this specific foundation, this national foundation, very much it wants you to grow. So that's actually really unique. We don't have that so often, and that's propelling our growth, hopefully, in the next year or so. That's amazing. And I'm sure there's like a million different ways that you can invest that as well. Yeah. And they're great about mentoring and it's not just about the funds. There's a whole program and learning and it's it's actually very meaningful and and very helpful. So when we get opportunities like that, we grab it and we run with it. So you've been part of this organization for two decades and you've seen, I'm sure, a lot of change. You've been through the pandemic most recently. 
What do you see changing now and maybe over the next, let's say, three to five years? Do you see any significant shift in terms of the way nonprofits need to run or anything that they should be doing differently? So I think obviously technology plays a huge role. Many organizations prior to COVID didn't have any access to remote delivery of programs. We always did. I mean, our staff was in the office, but we were able to pivot, for lack of a better word, since that was like the buzzword for the pandemic. But we didn't have to pivot our services. It was always available online and through snail mail and all that. But I think that the biggest challenge now is this hybrid world we're entering, where it's half in person and half digital. So you need the best technology, but you also need the best people. And there's a certain speed that's going on right now that I think we didn't have before the pandemic. There's a sense of urgency. Maybe it's the back to the real world. If everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon, we're allowed to travel. You're allowed to get together with people. You have an opportunity to fundraise in person. And there is this kind of energy, but it's a speed thing. And I think that nonprofits, we want to advance with all the advancements in technology, but you also want to slow down to think. And I think it's very hard to do that. So I think, and I think, um, A lot of nonprofits are experiencing the great reshuffle. There's a lot of turnover for all different reasons and different opportunities. And I think nonprofits are feeling that too now. We also have seen turnover in the last few months. And that's hard. You have to onboard new people, orientation. Before COVID, I think people stayed longer in positions. And now people reevaluate their lives and their lives have changed and their needs have changed. And People are switching, you know, the way they work and how we work. So all that is affecting how nonprofits have to, in leadership, have to look at that. How do you manage teams that are hybrid, working from home and remote? And even the people that we're serving, their lives are very different. So I think nonprofits have to look at this new hybrid world that we're living in, the speed at which things are happening, and the urgency for people to get back into the real world. How can we use that to advantages, but how is it also a challenge? Have you also noticed any shift in terms of your donor demographic, whether it's their age or not just demographically, but how much or how little they want to be involved in, let's say, the last 10 years or so? So there has been a push for people to be more than writing a check. But I think at ShareShare, we've always had that because we don't have one big donor. A lot of nonprofits of our size have a few donors that carry the organization and really are invested financially in other ways. Sharsharet has always been very grassroots and having thousands of donors. I think we have on average, I don't know, 16,000 gifts a year on a $5 million budget. So, but people, a lot of those people don't want to just write a check and they really want to get involved with program and how they could be helpful, which is great. And it's also takes more time, but that's how we learn. So I happen to like when a donor wants to get involved in that way, because then they teach us what's like, we develop our programs based on the women and families that we serve. So if someone is passionate about the cause, they're bringing back to us what other people want. I do think that the good thing about that is when you're going through a hard time, like a recession, which we're in now, or we're not in, or where we are going for inflation, <laughs> right? You run the risk that you could lose big donors. With Sharsharon having so many different types of donors and a really diversified portfolio of donors and investors, so revenue streams, we don't have just one revenue stream. We have it all over the place and lots of donors. 
then you're not going to see it be affected when the economic downturn happens. But we would like to see people, people were very, very generous during COVID. And part of it was, you know, obviously their hearts go out to cancer patients who have to be in chemo rooms all by themselves. They can't even bring a spouse or a partner or a child or an adult with them, a friend. It used to be that people could go and you could have five friends doing chemo and it would take away the fear of being alone. And then COVID hit and you had to literally be alone. I mean, Sharshara was with you. We were FaceTiming, we gave meditation. There were things that people could read. So people were very giving. They also weren't traveling and they weren't spending money on things. So post-COVID, we've been very fortunate people are sticking with us. But I think that could be a challenge now that people are going on vacations and things cost a lot of money. So, you know, things that will affect also donations. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. So I know you're on the CEO level, but you had been in the past more evolved in the day-to-day. Um, are there any favorite stories or moments that stick out for you as like just giving you the reason that you are in the nonprofit space, something that like you really think about when it gets tough, which I'm sure it does many times. Yeah. So I think what we do at Share Share, which I think is really nice, which a lot of nonprofits, because there's such great causes, every week we have a staff meeting where everyone, wherever you are in the country, you have to be on Zoom and you have to have your camera on. And we start off with what we call the Share Share story. And our social workers and counselors will come on, or even someone from another department, an educator, will share a meaningful story that happens that week with everyone on the team. And it reminds you of why you're doing what we're doing. And it's really all about the stories. So is there one story that stands out? No, not really. I mean, there are. So, I mean, I could think of last week we did an event and we did a fundraiser. And what always happens with a fundraiser is that there's a lot of energy around your cause because you're promoting it and people are coming and they're deciding and they're, it's in newspapers. And one of the best side effects or results from one of these fundraisers is that women feel more connected and they'll reach out. So we had events last week. And even at the event itself, I had a woman approach me and she said, you know, she literally had tears in her eyes. Her mother had had ovarian cancer. She's doing okay now. And she said, I I don't even really understand what I need to do. I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing can you help? And this was like on a Wednesday night. And by Friday, she was already speaking with Sharshar's genetic counselor and had a plan on how to save her life. So I think the results of fundraising, while it's great and it supports your programs, connecting with people and getting them the support they need within a day or two, it saves lives. So I feel like those stories come up. We have a lot of stories about incredible stories about women who carry the genetic mutation or their husbands who carry the mutation because men's also our partners also carry this mutation and they're doing technology has made it possible for families to screen embryos before implanting them and they can only choose embryos that don't have this genetic mutation so they could cut off a mutation that's been in a family for generations and say you know what this baby is going to have the same risk as everyone else for cancer not more because of the mutation. And it's not always so perfect and it doesn't always work, but we have women who, and we share those stories. So we learn from them. And so everyone on the team, whether you are the controller, the office manager, the social worker, the genetic counselor, the educator, you know, the marketing director, everyone's on that call and everyone is watching and hearing about these stories. And that really motivates us because at the end of the day, when someone sends an email and says, thank you, Sharshara, for caring, or thank you for share, 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 for saving my life. I mean, that makes you want to stay forever. Absolutely. That's incredible. 
Thank you so much. So if anybody listening wants to get in touch, whether to volunteer or to donate or to find out more about your services, where should they go? So we are where you are. So you can find us. Our website is shersherit.org. It's a really hard word to spell. So S-H-A-R-S-H-E-R-E-T.org, but you can Google us. We're trying to work on our SEO to get us up there. That's really important too. So shersherit.org, we have an 800 number, 866-474-2774. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. On Instagram, we're Shersherit Official because we have a lot of Shersherit groups but the main Shersherit is Shersherit Official. We have live chat on our website. We have social workers and educators waiting and eager to hear from you. We have long hours because we have LA all hours and New York hours. So don't hesitate to reach out. My cell phone is out there. You guys can call me, but really we want to hear from everyone. We want to help people. Amazing. Thank you so much. This was really, really great. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Change the World podcast. If you have any feedback or comments, or if you are a nonprofit leader who is interested in learning more about how 14 Minds can help you, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me by email at sivia at 14minds.com. For more nonprofit content, follow me on LinkedIn or visit 14minds.com to subscribe to our mailing list.